So a year ago, I decided that it would be a good idea to connect with people who share my passion for writing a list of things to do before you die. And we call this podcast Bucket, Bucket as in Bucket, which also rhymes with a word that starts with F. Like, why not just get out there and do the things that you really want to do with your life? And this philosophy of tick it before you kick it really goes back to when I was 19 years old, I had a near-death experience, and I decided that the best life that I could have would be a life where I got paid to do the things that were on my life list. And I've managed to turn that list into a career. I, I really believe that by writing things down, all of a sudden you make them very real and that there's a certain amount of momentum and gravity that goes towards a weight of, it's like a, it's like a contract you have with yourself where you're not going to get sued if you don't take the things off your list, but you've put the things out there in life that you really want to do and then you set about going to achieve them. And early on when I was 19, when I made this list, it was a pretty selfish list. It was things that I wanted to do for myself. And there were some crazy things on that list. And over the years, working in front of a camera, I've done some things that I knew would have great entertainment value. Like back in the 90s, when I was working at FX Networks, when it first started out, I remember I did a live piece where I changed a, a light bulb on top of the Verrazano Bridge once. Uh, I remember doing a show for Discovery Channel back in the in the 90s where I, I wanted to have a spiritual cleansing with a witch doctor. I heard about this guy who was a witch doctor. He had the world's longest hair. And I went to find him in the Golden Triangle, which is up in the northern part of Thailand, uh, on the border of Laos, Thailand, and Myanmar. And, and uh, I had to track this guy down and ended up in, a, in an opium den having a, a spiritual cleansing with two chickens that he found in the village, diving the world's longest underwater caves, joining the polar bear club. A lot of the things that were on my list were, again, quite selfish things that there weren't things that had a huge amount of meaning or impact on the, on the rest of the world. And then inherently, hopefully we all get, uh, I'm not saying you want to get more mature, but maybe you start to think less about yourself and you think more about some of the things that you can do for other people. And that's what led me to go from doing things like putting a golf ball across Scotland, which I did back about 10 years ago, or uh, having dinner on top of an erupting volcano with a five-star chef, to then putting things on my list that were about raising a million dollars for my favorite charity, which happens to be MS. So I've evolved a little, a little bit. Uh, and I think that comes from being a parent and maybe being a little bit more responsible. And when you become a parent, you realize that you're responsible for another human being. And so now I get a real kick out of helping other people. And that's really why I wanted to do this podcast. I thought, how cool would it be if I could get really inspirational people, people who really epitomize what it means to tick it before you kick it and, and sit down with them and talk to them and understand what's going through their minds, what, what motivates them, what makes them get up every day, some of the things that they've achieved, the obstacles that they've, they've run into in life. And, and then maybe from that, you can draw some inspiration yourself to, to get out there and do the things that are really important to you. And there's nothing better than getting feedback from, from people who, you know, you make, you make this 
we make television. I work on Amazing Race, of course. I've worked on lots of shows over the last 32 years in front of a camera. And and it's always good to have feedback to know that maybe you've had some impact on, on other people and that you've affected some change. So I'm really keen to stay connected with you because I want to know things that you've put on your list and things that you've achieved. And, uh, and I do have some questions from you and I thought they'd be interesting to answer. I knew I couldn't go back. Your you just wife. put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to live. She's done even Luck deeper. is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I couldn't. That I. was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Kogan. Every week I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators. People who ditch the excuses, swerve off the predictable road, and epitomize what it means to ticket before you kick it. So, Fratzel, you've got a question for me, which is, how old would I be if I didn't know how old I was? And I would like to think that I would be like a 10-year-old because I remember being 10. And... I remember dreaming as a 10-year-old and feeling like anything was possible in the world. I got my first 10-speed when I was 10 years old, and I was living on the island of Antigua. I lived in Antigua for about eight years, and it's a small island in the Caribbean. It's 108 square miles. And the bicycle for me was freedom to be able to go and just explore. And in all honesty, I still dream about that time of getting on my bike, being free, feeling the wind blow through my hair. I didn't have a helmet back then because we didn't really know what helmets were. And I would ride from one side of the island to the other and go through all the villages and people got to know me and, and, and I felt just like such a free spirit. I felt like I was an adventurer. I could turn left if I wanted to or right. I could drive off the main road and go off and explore. And I did. And I ended up in some precarious situations at times. But there was something just so magical about being 10 years old, not a care in the world, making up my own mind about where I went and what I was going to do. And and if I could freeze myself in any age, I think I would be a 10-year-old, you know. Uh, and, and you don't know what you don't know about life. And, and so you, you, you dream big and you don't suffer from this sort of analysis paralysis thing. You just think you can be king of the world and that anything is possible. So one of the chapters in the book I wrote, No Opportunity Wasted, was Rediscover Your Childhood. And I really do believe that by staying young in spirit, keeping a young spirit, you will live a really wonderful life, keeping that curiosity. One of the people that was a big inspiration to me was a guy by the name of Banana George, who was the biggest kid I ever met. And I didn't meet him until he was 81 when he started snowboarding. He picked up snowboarding at 81. He was in the Water Skiing Hall of Fame I think he started water skiing when he was about 59. He used to be a banker and he used to live a very sort of sedentary life and wear a suit and go to work. And then he decided later in life, well, hold on a second, I'm not having any fun anymore. And I remember being a kid and I remember what it was like being a kid and I want to be a kid. And so he he picked up snowboarding and then uh, I, I renewed my wedding vows underwater. Uh, about gosh 20 something years ago and he was he was the best man at the underwater wedding where I had to get a scuba diving priest and 
There's my friend Banana George, who always used to love wearing yellow. He was the best man and dropped the rings down into the water. So yeah, I'm gonna say 10 years old, free spirit, not a care in the world, exploring and thinking, wow, I've got all this life ahead of me. So I have a question from the explorer in you and um, asking me about a country that has surprised me the most. And to be honest with you, it's a difficult question to, to answer because I'm constantly surprised by the places that I go to. I've, I've been lucky enough to travel to over 130 countries around the world. And people say, well, what's your favorite country? And I always say, well, it's the country I haven't been to yet. Um, I just had a fascinating interview with somebody that's coming up uh, talking about Afghanistan. And uh, we, we think of Afghanistan and we think of we think of war and we think of conflict, but so many other people think of beauty and they, they think of the, the amazing people there and they think of the amazing landscape. And there are a lot of people that have said that Afghanistan is the most beautiful geographical country that they've ever seen. The, the mountains are absolutely stunning and beautiful and the, and the light on the, on the rocks and the mountains is magical. So. It's a, certainly a country that I would like to go to. I want to do it safely, of course, and the reality is that there's a lot of conflict. But um, I think that country would, would surprise me. Um, but to answer your question specifically, I, I think one place that really surprised me the most was this, was this little island in the middle of the Pacific. It's, it's called The Rock, and it's an island by the, by the name of Niue. There's only one flight in and out every week. It's an Air New Zealand flight that leaves Auckland and you, you get it on an Airbus 320 and you make this direct flight to Niue. You land in Niue and when they drop you off, you have to stay there at least a week because the next flight isn't for another week. And the island is very small and there's only about 800 people living there and there are no beaches. Now you might think, why would I go to a, an island in the middle of the Pacific where there's no beaches? They call this place the rock for a reason, because there's no sand, because there's no beaches. It is literally a rock just sticking out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. But what surprised me was you get there and you realize just how isolated you are in the world. And you get this sense of what it would be like to be an explorer and the explorers who went exploring through the Pacific going to these new places that had never been discovered before and that isolation of knowing that you're really cut off from the outside world. What they have there is they have the most magnificent diving. I have never seen clear water like that before in my life. And one of the reasons is that because there are no beaches, there's no sediment in the water. And so the water is absolutely crystal clear. I'm not exaggerating when I say that you can be snorkeling on the surface at 300 feet from the bottom and look straight down and see the bottom uh, and see dolphins and see all the amazing uh, marine life swimming all around you. And one of the things we did, which was so much fun, I managed to take my daughter. We went on the trip with my with my daughter and a friend who were learning how to scuba dive was we, we all held on the back of a little inflatable boat and we were dragged through the water 
in a pod of dolphins, about 400 dolphins, and they were all around us. And not only were they all around us at the back of the boat, but they were diving down below us hundreds of feet. And then they would, you could see them just moving around, just gracefully moving around and then coming right back up to us. And then we went on another dive where there were all these sea snakes, very poisonous sea snakes, but they have very small mouths so they can't bite you and it's not that dangerous. But they were, they were mating and they were, they were all just, I mean, they were just everywhere in the, in the water. Wherever you, wherever you looked, you just saw these sea snakes uh, in, a, in a vertical position, just hanging in the water. Um, and then I remember we went to a takeaway place there and there's this guy running it with, a, with a, just a, you know, an old barbecue and he built up a, a, a wall that was about waist height. And then he put a, he just sort of fashioned a roof on the top. And he was trying to cook at the same time as he was trying to run the cashier. Uh, so this guy was cooking at the same time that he was trying to run this business, but it was just him. So when we walked in and we placed our order, which we just wrote down on a piece of paper, he said, oh, that'll be, you know, I don't know what it was, 550 or whatever. And, and we went over uh, to the bar area, figuring there must be somebody who was, you know, operating the till. And he said, oh, no, 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 just help yourself. Open up the till, put the change in, put your money in and take out the change that you need. You need. So, yeah, I, that place really surprised me. And I, I loved it just because it was, it was so remote and so different from any other place that I'd been to. Here's a question from Rosemum who asked me what theme, which which uh, now theme was the most difficult to make my life list with. And I would say that is uh, break new ground. Um, and break new ground is really about doing something that nobody else has ever done before. And so I think you really have to think about how you're going to do something like that. Um, it takes a lot more thought. It's not hard to, to uh, take a leap of faith and try something new and different or rediscover your childhood because you could do something fun like i don't know have a pillow fight with your your kids or uh you know test your limits where you you train and go do a marathon but break new ground is really about if you really want to up the ante it's about doing something that maybe has never been done before but to be honest with you it's the one that i really like to think about the most uh, a few years ago, my, my buddy Ben and I, um, Ben Cornell, who's a phys physical therapist here in L.A., we decided to retrace the 1928 Tour de France on 1928 Tour de France bicycles. And we made a film, which is called La Ride, which you can see on Hulu. The most difficult, challenging thing that we had ever done in our lives, 150 miles a day for 22 stages riding all the way around France. But nobody had ever done this before, like retraced the Tour de France from 1928. So we really did feel like pioneers. We did, we really did feel like we were breaking new ground and doing something new and different. So I'm all about that. Um, we, I broke an unofficial world record with my, with my friend, Henry Van Ash, who's the, uh, the co-creator of commercial bungee jumping. Uh, I love that, but I have to say, sometimes it's a little challenging. What are we going to do? Because there's so many incredible things have been done by so, so many amazing human beings over time that it, it, it become it can be a little bit of a challenge like to think what are you going to do that's different new and different here's another good question this one's from connor in los angeles who asks has being on the amazing race altered my bucket list i would have to say absolutely uh one of the things i say at the start of the amazing race and i have said it since season one i say it to all 
the racers, I've said it to every racer that's ever left on The Amazing Race, it's that the world is waiting for you. And back at se in season one, I wanted to say something to the teams as they were leaving, as they were starting on their race around the world that would have some real impact, some sense of promise, some, something to, to really get them excited about the idea that they could go out into the world and that they could discover something new and different. So before I worked on Amazing Race, I had worked in about 60-something countries. I traveled to over 60-something countries. And so a lot of places I went back to on Amazing Race, but since then I've been to a lot of new places that I hadn't been to before as well. And so the more you travel, the more you learn, the more you think about the things that you want to achieve in your life. I mean, I remember the first time I went to Iceland and I thought, I've got to bring my dad here. I, I mean, my dad is a plant scientist. Uh, he loves geography. He loves volcanoes and mountains and rivers and lakes. And he, he loves the environment. And to me, there is no greater place to see all of that, that up close than a place like Iceland. Uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, something like 50% of the volcanic eruptions in the last 500 years have happened in Iceland. There's a, there's a tectonic plate where two tectonic plates meet and go right through Iceland. That's why they've got so many volcanoes there. It's incredibly active. Of course, there's, in addition to fire, they've also got ice because it's, well, it is Iceland. And by the way, there's a lot of very strong people in Iceland. I don't know why, but there are. And maybe because they're all descended from the Vikings. But anyway, um, so yes, absolutely. You, you travel, you meet people, you think I've got to come back here. I want to spend some time with people. One of the challenges with Amazing Race is that we race in and out so quickly. We shoot 12 shows in 21 days and there isn't time to like slow down and to really savor the countries that we get to and the places that we get to. So absolutely, it's affected my list. And uh, yeah, on my list right now, I can tell you, my dad is 77 now. He wants to go to Iceland. It's on my list. I want to take him there. And I, I want to share that experience with him. So yes, the answer, Connor from Los Angeles, is absolutely 100% yes. Well, I guess I had to expect the next question, which comes from Nicholas Harbour. He wants to know who I would take as my three companions on a road trip. That's a question, of course, I ask all my guests. And I have to really think about this. Um, I'm gonna say I would, I, I, one of my favorite, all-time favorite adventure stories ever is the story of Sir Ernest Shackleton who was heading down to the ice, who was going to try to traverse across the South Pole. And his ship got stuck in the ice and suddenly his adventure turned from crossing the South Pole to, or crossing at the uh, Antarctica to then saving his men. And if you haven't read the story, I would thoroughly recommend it because he saved every single one of his men and it is without doubt one of the most incredible survival stories ever, period. Um, so I would, I'd love to have him in the car just because he's such a, a survivalist. Um, and, and then I'm gonna say uh, my mom and my dad, 
Um, my parents are 77 and I want to spend as much time as I possibly can with them. They're the ones that gave me my love of adventure and, and travel and, and certainly uh, respecting people and finding people really fascinating. Um, so I just want to share whatever moment I can, you know, moments I can with my parents. So, yeah, I think he'd just be an interesting person to tell us the three of us stories. And I say this because, you know, as you, you, have, to be, you have to think about who you would take right now and who I would take right now are my parents, but obviously it changes depending on where you're at in your life. So, you know, I also love traveling with my my wife and my daughter, and I love uh, this, you know, my good friend, Scotty Bombastic, who uh, has been on the ride with me and they'll ride with me. So, yeah, but if I was to leave right now, it'd be my mom, my dad, and Sir Ernest Shackleton. So, <laughs> and then there's another part to this question. Uh, are there any, are there going to be any more crazy cycling adventures in the world? Uh, and Nicholas said that he really loved the ride and the ride. By the way, I apologize for not coming up with some better names. La ride and the ride. The ride being my ride across America and La ride retracing the 1928 Tour de France. But um, right now, I do not have a crazy cycling uh, adventure lined up, but... I imagine I will be doing another one at some point. And there is, there is one that I'm, I've been thinking about, and it has a connection to uh, Sir Ernest uh, Shackleton. So maybe you'll hear about it in a little while. Yeah, that's all I'll say for right now. <laughs> anyway, I appreciate the question, Nicholas. I got another one here from Shari Dijon has a question. And she would like to know whether I have ever had the desire to climb Mount Everest. And the answer to that question is yes, absolutely yes, when I was 19. So when I had this near-death experience, it was one of the first things that went on to my list. And a big part of the motivation for having Everest on my list was because of Sir Edmund Hillary. Sir Edmund Hillary some of you may know, was the first person to climb Mount Everest on Christmas Day in 1953 with Sherpa Tenzing Norgay. They were the first to get to the top of the world. And John Hunt was the English climber who was leading that expedition. And he and a number of his climbers had attempted to get to the top on that particular trip. And they wanted to do it as a gift if I'm not mistaken, to celebrate the Queen, the Queen of England's Silver Jubilee, which was in 1953. And so John Hunt's men attempted to climb Mount Everest and they failed. I believe there were three groups that tried and failed. And finally, it came down to a beekeeper from New Zealand, Sedman Hillary, who at the time was just Edmund Hillary, just a beekeeper. Well, not just a beekeeper, but a beekeeper. And this the Sherpa Tenzing Norgay. And they were the ones that eventually made it to the top of Everest on Christmas Day in 1953. And if you go to New Zealand and you look at the $5 note, you'll see Sedman Hillary on that $5 note. So he's, 
he's a prominent New Zealander and, and one of my heroes and always has been. So yes, I, I had it on my list. But then over the years, the desire to go to the top became less and less. It wasn't as, it wasn't as important as it was when I was 19. And then certainly when I, when I got to become a parent, I thought, I don't know how responsible it is to be a parent, but then also go risk your life to go climb Mount Everest. And then what's the sort of end goal? The end goal is what? That you tell people, oh, by the way, I climbed Mount Everest. And not that there's anything wrong with having that as a goal, but for me, it just seemed less important than other things that I could do. And about, uh, gosh, 15, 16 years ago, Everest was still on my list. And I ended up doing some specials for the Discovery Channel. It was called After the Climb. And it was talking to people who had climbed Mount Everest. And a lot of people who had seen, uh, spent a lot of time on Everest. And there was this one guy who was trying to break a world record to climb to the top of Mount Everest, go down, I think he was going up the south side, going down, and then climbing back up the north side and then doing the peak twice, sort of like up and over and back over again. And he said to me, he realized that what he was doing seemed very trivial at one point because the Sherpa who was helping him, who didn't care about this world record, kept climbing ahead of him and he couldn't keep up with the Sherpa. The Sherpa had no desire to break any world record and yet this guy was out to break a world record and he realized that the guy who was helping him break the world record was a better climber than him and that it wasn't important that he was just doing it because he was making a living being a Sherpa and helping him get to the top of the mountain. So he said it, it, it suddenly made it feel very trivial, like this idea of conquering a mountain. And now, I don't know if you've seen, but there was this image the other day and it wasn't Photoshopped, it's legit, it's real. There was a traffic jam at Hillary Step up on Everest, up in the death zone. So there's this last pitch, I think it's about 250 feet away from the summit, named after Sedman Hillary. And you have to, I think you have to rope in to get over this, this piece. It's a, it's a difficult little pitch and it's single file. And so you get a lot of, you get a lot of bottlenecking in that little spot right there. And the other day, I see this photograph of literally hundreds of people up in the death zone. When you're up in the death zone, which is above 25,000 feet, and, and uh, Everest is around 29,000, your body is literally eating itself. I mean, you're, you're, you're starved of oxygen. Your body is, is depleted. You're tired. And these people are standing out in the cold, waiting for people to come up or to go up and then waiting for them to come down and you're waiting your turn to get this shot, to get to the top, to get that shot. And, and you have to remember what all mountain climbers say, when you get to the top of a mountain, you're only halfway there. And so people have been dying and, because they've been standing out there and been, it's all being clogged up. So I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, it, yes, it was on my list, but right now, I, no, I don't, I, I, I feel like I need to spend my energy doing something else. I don't wanna find myself up at the top of the world, stepping over people who are frozen to death up there and 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 stuck in traffic. I mean, if you want you want that experience, you can just go into Manhattan. There's enough people there, you know. If you want to surround yourself by people, 
Got another one here. This one is from Fibros, and he wants to know how many things I try to check off my bucket list every year and how many I add. I, it really depends. I mean, there, there are periods where I, I truly get inspired. I, I, you know, I, I write a lot of things down. I'm constantly writing things down. I've had a, a moleskin for, for over 25, actually, gosh, it must be 30 years. And I, I, I write things down. I take photographs of things that inspire me. So sometimes I'll have five or six things that get added on my list. And then maybe there's three weeks that go by, then there's nothing. And the thing about the list is it's a pliable list. It, it's constantly moving around. Just like I had Everest on my list at one point, and now it's just, I mean, it's not that I don't want to go to Everest, but it's being pushed way down. I'm constantly adding and pushing things around. A priority for me right now is to get my dad to, to Iceland. It's something I really want to do for him. Just recently, I took a hike with him uh, along a trail, the longest single track trail in New Zealand called the Old Ghost Road. So yeah, it's, it, it, it's not a fixed thing. It, it should be. I really believe that you should have a pliable list that you keep adding to and subtracting to. You just, you just get to it when you get inspired. And the idea is that you never complete the list, that when you take your last breath, there's still things on your list that you wanted to do because that means you were going to wake up the next day and you were going to go out and try to achieve things. So, yeah, I, I think just look around constantly for inspiration. And when it comes to you, get it down. Just write it down. You never know. I've got a question here from uh, live from Glogotha. I hope I've said that correctly. What is the one thing meeting people from every corner of the globe has taught you? That's a really good question. I think it is that everybody, everybody, no matter where they're from, no matter what culture they come from, they all want to be acknowledged. They want to be respected. Uh, and and they all want the same things. They all care about their family. They care about educating their kids and, and looking after people. We really are all the same. And a lot of times when you see people from different parts of the world, you see them in a bad light on the news because the times that they wanna share news from another corner of the world, it's because there's something happening there that makes the news. And so people sometimes think that bad things are constantly happening in places outside the country that they live in because there's an old news saying, which is if it, if it bleeds, it leads. So what I've learned is that there are a lot of really amazing things happening out there and that if you travel and you travel with respect, people will treat you with respect. And remember, wherever you go in the world, you are a guest in that person's country. So it's a little bit like visiting somebody's house. If they have certain rules about how things work, then just abide by those. Don't fight them. Remember you're a guest and be respectful. Really enjoying these questions from you and I have time for one more and it comes from Last Chance 4, I guess that seems fitting, who asks, give us one funny embarrassing story that I have from my travels. Well, I've got a few stories <laughs> that I really would need to share with you over a beer, but here's one. So I was in Venezuela once and I went up a river in a dugout canoe and I was living with a, an indigenous tribe and we spent three days with them doing everything that they do. And one night they went hunting for capivara uh, and we came back and we had capivara and that is the world's largest rodent. Another day we went fishing for piranha 
We went swimming with pink dolphins. We went everywhere with these amazing people and we slept in hammocks. We laughed with them. We played soccer with them. And they wanted to teach me how to use a blowgun. And I thought, well, that would be fun because I, I, I used to shoot guns when I was a kid a lot and target shooting. And I, I thought that'd be really fun. So we go out into this amazing jungle and I could not believe the accuracy at which they were firing these, these darts, these blow darts from the big long blowgun. And they handed it to me and said, here, you know, you give it a shot, see, see what you can do. So they get me to take aim at a bird that they eat. And I was, I guess in that moment, responsible for getting dinner. And I, I, I line it up and I take the shot. And as soon as I take the shot, they all disappear and they're all gone. And I'm like, what, you know, what's happening? Why are you, you know, why are we leaving me? And as soon as I turn around and realize they're all gone, I just started getting stung and there's a sting on the arm and another sting on the other arm. And I get absolutely swarmed by these bees. So when I fired, I fired so badly that I hit a bee's nest and and got these bees really worked up, missed the bird completely, and then was attacked by a swarm of bees. They thought it was funny. I'm not really sure that's actually so funny. But anyway, um, made for a good story. All right, so uh, I just wanna say thank you so much for listening to the Bucket Podcast. Uh, please continue to send in your questions. We love hearing from you. If you have any suggestions for any guests that you'd like us to speak to, then, then please, just connect with us and uh, let us know what's on your life list and you never know, you might be one of my guests. And never forget to tick it before you kick it. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To see more great interviews, go to philcogan.com and subscribe to Bucket with Phil Kogan wherever you get your podcasts. Please consider rating and reviewing us and follow Bucket, that's Bucket with an IT, on Instagram and Facebook. Also, follow me on Twitter, at Phil Kogan. See you soon.